Blog Talk Radio. Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
program, but I don't know. Come back home to Greetings and salutations. And before I move forward with my formal introduction, give me a moment. I'm going to try to get Instagram together. I'm going to try to do the show, continue to, to move it forward, and still try and attend to the, the technical technical issues that might be happening with um, Instagram. But indeed, Alafia, Peleo, Yuhuruwaku, greetings and salutations. Abarua, Boye, Aboshishe, Baboni, come on in. Welcome, welcome. And as always, I say, Eshu Alegbuana Kosiwere. Awo onlo uto ni iwo ada afan bo osi o batala mi ita ni ibo onilio abaneshu eshu is the respected elder who flogs, confronts, and uncovers fools. The one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to feed poverty. O batala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu. Abaru, Aboye, Aboshishe, Ashe. May our Ebo reach your rune. May our Ebo be accepted. May our Ebo indeed allow what we desire to come to pass. And so we say, Ashe. Divine all blessed love and joy, prosperity, elevation, revelations, and manifestation. You are now sitting live with the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye Hudu Obeya Bokor, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective. Call me the stone that the builder refused, <laughs> and always the head cornerstone. For indeed, I am sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African hoodoo, world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is my constant prayer, mantra, affirmation, reverberation, my reiteration, because it is my ever-living reality. And it is crucial to the foundation of my reality, where I begin, where I end where I make sense of and bring things together, understanding that ultimately I and I alone create and co-create my, my destiny. And I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And so it is. Ashe. And we say so with such strength and such confidence because we understand 
that we create and recreate our reality with our tongue. And your tongue, your mouth, it's just a point of entry. (laughs) For indeed, you have to first think it, conceive it, see it, believe it, understand it before you push it out of your mouth. And some of my long-term listeners, some of my godchildren, some of my clients, you've heard me say this before. You understand that even before you open your mouth, you're projecting your message. You're projecting your energy. Listen, there's no way to hide real goodness. No way. There's no way to hide pure wickedness. There's no way. You can put a mask on it. You can paint it up. You can make it pretty. You can make it cute. But at the end of the day, spirit sees right down to the center, from the crust to the center, from the, from the surface to the internal parts. Spirit sees it all. God sees it all. Ancestors see and hear and know and understand all things. So I offer you to walk in your truth today. Stand up in your power today. Choose, choose not to be a part of the foolishness today. Choose, choose to rise above the wickedness today. For the wickedness abounds. Every day, 365 days a year, every year, but particularly right now in this moment in time space. I don't care how you look at it, politics, societal conditions and norms, governmental conditions and norms, community conditions and norms, wickedness abounds today. And you can put some lipstick on it. You can put a cute wig on it. You can put a nice haircut in a line on it. But ultimately, who you are, what you are, really it stands up. And it stands up in every moment, even when we can't see it, even when we can't hear it, even when we don't understand, even when it is indeed masked. What's real is ultimately present. Present. And if God can see through the illusion. If ancestors can see through the illusion, then indeed we have an opportunity to see past illusions and create and recreate a reality that's in our best interest. I'm really um, humbled today by progress. Progress. I'm really humbled today by the progress that I see in my own life, in my personal life, in my ministry, in my outreach. But I'm also humbled today by the progress that I see in my clients, in my initiates, in my godchildren, and those who indeed stand on a strong foundation of ancestors. I'm appalled. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, I'm appalled every time someone comes to me and say, I received this, I received that, I got this deity, I got that deity, and you ain't got no ancestors. And no real inner standing of such. For indeed, that is your scaffolding. That is your 
foundation. That is your point of entry into these traditions by way of your ancestors, by way of the blood, by way of the blood. This isn't a vegan, vegetarian (laughs) practice and culture. That which is ATR, that which is voodoo, lukomi, santeria, palo, et cetera, et cetera, candable, Maria Leonza. This isn't, you might be vegan and vegetarian, but this ain't a vegan and vegetarian path. Blood is essential to this path, inwardly and outwardly, inwardly and outwardly. So I am here, as as always, to share what I know, to share what, what I have been gifted, to share what spirit might have me to give, but also to meet your needs. Greetings, beloved. Greetings, greetings, beloved. Welcome, my sister Wapani, y'all. One Wapani. Greetings, beloved. I'm here to share. I'm here to give. In in spite of, in spite of whatever challenges, whatever battles, whatever foolishness we might be living amongst right now. And again, I reiterate, it's a great deal of foolishness that we live and we exist in right now. So having said that and got that off my chest (laughs) and got that out of my energy, let me fall back into uh, sort of our ongoing theme, which always is the revolutionary revival of hoodoo, New Orleans voodoo, secrets and recipes. If you didn't know, if you're not clear, if if you hadn't heard me say, if you weren't too sure, that's my motive. That's my purpose. To ensure that authentic practice not only survives me and this generation and this time space that we're in today, but that generations beyond us, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our friends, our family, etc., our communities, know that there is an option to what's being forced upon us, what's being regurgitated onto us, what's sort of being programmed into us. There's a system somewhere that says repeating the same thing over and over, expecting a different result is insanity. It's insanity. So at some point you have to say, this isn't manageable. My life is not manageable. My love and relationship house is not manageable. My Financial career path is not manageable, and then seek guidance. But first, you got to be, keep it real about where you are. First, you have to keep it real about what you know. First, you have to keep it real about your homework and your experience and your truth. You got to be clear. You got to be real, and, and not just with me. Not just with the next practitioner, but with God and with the creative universe and with yourself. For indeed, the goddess will step back when you say, I know, I got it, I'm all good, I I understand. And some of you communicate that way, by the way. Before you can get, before the speaker or the person you're communicating with can get to the period, you already have an answer. Before the, the speaker or the person you're communicating with has made their point, 
has spoken their truth, you already have an answer. And some of you are cutting people off right in the middle of the sentence. Yeah, I know and. Yes, I know in my. Yes, I know in me. Yes, I know. And it comes back to, yeah, it comes back to you. It comes back to you. (laughs) But indeed, if you're not willing to address that work, and when we look at our ancestors and the conditions that they existed under, particularly those who came by way of the Middle Passage, those who came by way of enslavement, and the environment that they had to exist in, the challenges that they had to face just getting up in the morning, not just health, wellness, am I going to eat, you know, will I, will I be able to attain the proper hygiene, but the very life, the very survival of themselves and their family. Fortunately, there are some similarities today when I think about Breonna Taylor. Oh, when I think about Black Lives Matter, when I think about so many people, so many individuals whose lives have been cut short, you know, at the hands of police, at the hands of the system, at the hands of the state, at the hands of the government, um, it's, it's no less than lynching, public lynching. When I think about George Floyd, when I think about Trey, um, Trayford, beloved, I'm I'm live on air, beloved. I'm I'm live on air. I beg your pardon. What you say? I'm live on air. I'm live on the radio. Talk to you later. All is a blessing. When I think about Breonna Taylor, when I think about Ahmaud Aubrey, when I think about Trayvon Martin. Alton Sterling, and for many of you, uh, Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter consciousness came about with Trayvon Martin. And, you know, that's not a jab. You know, it's generational, it's age, it's experience. But I'm a little bit older, you know, than I look. Um, I've been around since the Civil Rights Movement. I am a product of, and some would say the first generation of, the Rasta movement, the Hebrew Israelite movement, the Black Conscious movement, the Black Kemetic Awareness movement, the Black Voodoo Hodu root working conjure consciousness. I'm a product of that very first generation, being born in 1966. I would like to believe that not only has a a formula a blueprint been left for us, been laid down for us to sort of look at and, and apply and follow. But we also have new opportunities, particularly with technology that's available today. Um, our world gets smaller. Greetings, Arisha. Greetings, uh, Chef Bougie, the real one. <laughs> greetings, greetings. Um, greetings, Mom. My mother's here. Greetings, beloved. Yes, we indeed have no choice, Mom. No choice at all. Greetings, everyone. Um, please forgive me on the greetings. Sometimes I get to talking. Uh, Denise, Matthew, Arisha, Wanwapani, and I forget who do occultism. I forget to look down at my chat box. I also invite you to join me here live on screen, if you will. I won't be here with you long today. 
many of you know, I have a, uh, a another podcast to do today at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll be doing another uh, live broadcast, live podcast today with Nosta, Igben, and Dion. Um, many of you know as as uh, Rise of the Orisha. Rise of the Orisha. Rise of the Orisha can be found uh, in Twitter. Rise of the Orisha with an H O R I S H A. Rise of the Orisha can be found in Instagram. And so I will be broadcasting today from Rise of the Orisha. And of course, uh, from my own my own uh, Instagram page as well. And that, again, is 6 p.m. Central Standard. I'm sorry, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. For our friends and family in the U.K., I believe that's 11 p.m. your time. So I appreciate your support. I appreciate your listenership. I appreciate, if you will, you you join in with us and and be a part of that powerful broadcast later on today. Um, We'll be talking about uh, similar things to what I talk about here, but it'll be an opportunity for me to be a little bit more personal. Um, I'm sure Rise of the Orisha um, NOSA would have specific commentary and questions for me. I'm sure the listening audience uh, will also have specific questions and, and commentary for me as well, but we will be talking about voodoo, Rise of the Orisha, voodoo, and the presence and power of ATR right now, right now, in this most present moment, right now, not five years, 20 years from now, right now, and the door is open right now for us to do something different, for for us to do something profound. For us to do something that mirrors our own interest. We're not at odds, so to speak, with that which works for you. We are indeed at odds with a system that does not work for us. And so part of that change has to happen at the conscious level, has to happen at the spiritual level, has to happen at the point of of awareness. And I often have to, have to, go back to slavery, the Middle Passage, slavery, racism, white supremacy, colonization, just to discuss voodoo, but also to discuss our present footprint and demonstration in voodoo. We often think about maroons and escaping slaves as powerful imagery for revolution. And and indeed they are And they continue to be. I still offer that our awareness of slave rebellions is limited. I still offer that our awareness of maroon culture is still limited. And particularly here north of the border in North America, slave rebellions were a continuous source of fear in the American uh, consciousness. In the antebellum south as well as the northern uh, consciousness here in America. 
especially since black saves accounted for more than one third of the population in the 18th century. Laws dictating when and where and how we could congregate, could come together, were enacted to prevent insurrection. This would include drumming, dancing, singing, religious ceremonies, having church. All of that would have been outlawed and prohibited for us in the 18th century. And I want you to think about that in the context of how we hold on to our religious positions so fervently today in our personal lives, but now it's even in our political lives. We we can't think about red and blue and purple, you know, and green without conceptualizing race and religion. Laws dictating when and where and how slaves to congregate were enacted to prevent uprising, revolution, insurrection, and quell the white paranoia. Today we call white paranoia little shady names like uh, Karen. Karen is an acronym, if you will, for paranoid white women, paranoid white men. The, The paranoia of Western dominating society and culture. It is estimated that there were at least 250 slave rebellions in America before slavery was abolished in 1865. And because plantations in the South were smaller than those in other parts of the Americas, Brazil, Colombia, Cuba, plantations here, relatively speaking, were small. And because whites often outnumbered slaves, Slave rebellions in the South were less frequent than in the Caribbean or Brazil or South America. Additionally, slavery in America was rigorously policed to a degree that made rebellion a near impossibility. Most slave revolts occurred outside the plantation system, in larger cities or areas of small farms. In these locales, slave controls were more lax, and rebellious slaves could move about a little bit more freely. The largest slave rebellion outside the United States was the successful insurrection of black slaves that we have come to understand overthrew French rule and abolished slavery in St. Domingo, thereby establishing the independent nation of Haiti. The first recorded slave revolt in the United States happened in Glusschecker or Glusschecker, uh, G-L-O-U-C-E-S-T-E-R. I appreciate my mama and sometimes my sister for helping me with my pronunciation. Uh, Glusschecker, Virginia. And this was in 1663. 1663, first recorded slave revolt. 16. 63. Some of you are hung up on Haitian Revolution, 1790. Haitian Revolution, 1790. The first recorded slave result in the United States happened in Glauchecker, Virginia, 1663, an event involving white indentured servants as well as black slaves. In 1672, there were reports of fugitive slaves forming groups 
to harass plantation owners. Have you heard that before? In 1672, there were reports of fugitive slaves, maroons, maroons. If they're fugitive slaves, they are maroons. They have escaped. They are outside the system, and, and they're being hunted. That, that would meet your definition of a, of a maroon under enslavement uh, uh, scenarios. And so these fugitive slaves, these maroons, would form groups to harass plantation owners. First recorded all-black slave revolt occurred in Virginia in 1687. The first recorded all-black, all-black slave revolt revolt occurred in Virginia in 1687. Virginia was the host of several thwarted uprisings, including one in Richmond in 1800 and Spotsylvania County in 1815, but the state was also the scene of the most notorious slave rebellion in American history, Nat Turner's revolt. Nat Turner, Nat Turner, an enslaved African, was self-educated, prone to religious visions, which fueled his belief that a day of judgment was coming. In 1831, he enlisted the help of several other men into his rebellion. And you heard me, my, my family and my friends and my regular audience, you heard me say, we created religion. I know there's a, a, a spirit of anti-religion in, in, in the society especially here in the West today. But I remind you that we created religion. And often, I would say more often than not, religion played a critical role in escaping, in freedom, and any ideas that we had about liberty and separating ourselves from and becoming independent too. We often rode religious ideology, religious notions of freedom, of independence, in order to fuel that sense of uh, freedom that would have, you know, motivated escaping, that would have motivated running away. One of the bloodiest slave rebellions was known as the Stono Rebellion, S-T-O-N-O, the Stono Rebellion, or the Cato's, C-A-T-O, Cato's Conspiracy, which started in South Carolina in 1739. 1739 at the Stono River Bridge near Charleston. One September morning, September's a powerful month for slave rebellion. (laughs) One September morning, 20 slaves broke into a store, stole weapons and supplies, and headed to the refuge of Spanish-ruled Florida. Now, at this time, Stono River, 1739, Florida was a Spanish-ruled land, Spanish. So while we look at and count the numbers of Haitians and Cubans and Panamanians, and, and Nicaraguans and Hondurians that now live and exist in Florida, let's remember that Florida was once a Spanish-ruled territory. Florida's not very far in mileage from Cuba, by the way. I think it's, what, 90 miles between Florida 
the Key West and, and Cuba. And so this Spanish-ruled uprising, uh, 20 slaves who broke into the stores, stole weaponry, and headed for Spanish-ruled Florida, leaving 23 white murder victims in their path, growing into a group of 100 upon arriving in Florida. The rebels stopped in an open field and made a ruckus in hopes of other slaves hearing them and joining them. A local militia confronted the group, the white folks with their guns, confronted the, the Maroons. And with most of the escaped slaves caught, they executed them. Charleston had 19 years earlier been the center of a plotted revolt by 14 slaves planning to destroy plantations and attack Charleston. Betrayed, they fled, attempted to convince Creek Indians to join their uprising, and then were subsequently captured in Savannah, Georgia. Again, all were executed upon return to Charleston. And I think it's important to note betrayal. It's important to note um, that there was always someone, whether it was white folks, whether it was other enslaved Africans, whether it was in, the, in, in this particular scenario, the Creek Indians, there was always someone, just like today, to go against the grain, go against truth, go against power or empowerment, or side with a wicked form of power or empowerment, often for greed. I'm almost certain that the Creeks were offered a reward, some kind of ransom money, some kind of supplies for turning on these escaping Africans who sought um, their assistance for this Charleston revolt. So in 1816 in Camden, slaves planned to set fire to the town and kill the white population. 17 slaves were arrested, seven executed, and in 1829, a more successful attempt saw 85 buildings torched and rashed to the ground. I share these slave narratives, these revolts, uprisings, particularly at this moment in time space, quite consciously, quite literally, intentionally. And my prayer is, my hope is that you make the connections between what we are facing now, what we're fighting now, what we're up against now, in the battle for our lives, Black Lives Matter, but also for the battle of our land and our country and ultimately our world based on who the power figures are, based on who the power heads are. And we cannot continue to say the system is broken, so I don't want to be a part of it. The system is broken, so it doesn't matter uh, if I'm a part of it. Your non-vote, particularly right now, is a vote for more of the same. Your non-vote particularly right now, is a vote for more Trump and more grab them by the coochie. And I said it like that so that my video wouldn't be censored. Um, we all know it was the P word. Um, we all know that this man is racist, sexist, and leaks 
that truth among his peer group. They may not be as overt as he is. They don't have to be. They allow him to be overt. And then they go behind the scenes and do the paperwork and do the small stuff and do the grunge work that ultimately we as a people, black, brown, red, yellow, transgendered, LGBT, that we then have to continue to fight for. And and right now with the passing of RBG, we're even looking at women's rights being turned back, being rolled back. If you don't take action, if you don't do something, if you don't participate, and you might not be one to vote, you might not be one to get involved in, in politics, but you now have internet, you now have social media, you now have your own communities in which you live in where you can step out and present other demonstrations that motivate people to do the right thing that motivate people to support the cause of liberty and freedom. My cause is about liberty, freedom, liberation, true religious, spiritual liberation. We hear the song about, you know, they fled Europe under, under religious persecution to come to America and establish what? A land of freedom, a land of freedom where we all can pick and choose and operate within our own religions or a new land of religious political oppression where you must adhere to Christianity in all of its forms, where you must adhere to Islam in all of its forms out of the threat of your very life, out of the threat of your very life. So it is why I do what I do. It fuels why I do what I do. It motivates why I do what I do. It is why my voice will be, continue to be heard. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to NOSA and the opportunity to be a part of his demonstration uh, later on this evening. I'm also grateful to Dr. Emily and PBS uh, for the opportunity to be a part of another upcoming uh, public broadcasting station production. Uh, that will, again, support the truth and the authenticity about New Orleans voodoo, Louisiana voodoo. And I'm grateful for the History Channel and Nat Geo and and what's coming as it relates to, again, establishing a place for us, just like there's a place for Lukumi in Cuba and a place for Santeria and a place for Candable in Brazil, there should indeed be a place for us for voodoo and ancestral uh, acknowledgement right here where we are, right here where we exist. Um, greetings, Neophyte Volcour, beloved. Greetings. Come on in. How are you? Okay, he might be in a, 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 a dead zone in terms of his internet and his cell phone. But you're with me, uh, beloved, when you're ready um I'll be more than happy to take your questions or comment. Greetings, naturalistic. Greetings, beloved. Right, was, yeah, come on in, bro. Yeah, I don't have very much service right now, so I'll just drop this little bit of information real quick. I wanted to share something um, that I noticed between Gallup, New Mexico, and Arizona. We have the Navajo Nation, 
and it, it, it dawned on me, not didn't dawn on me, but I realized that the Navajo Nation. Oh, oh bro, you, you're breaking up. You, you, you're now, you're alien again. You, you, you shape shifting on my show again. Just like yesterday, now you sound like an alien. No, no. <laughs> okay, you're back. You now you're human oh, again. Oh, oh. Hello. Oh, okay, it's it's important to figure out if you're going to vote or not. Mm-hmm. For those that are like stuck in between, uh, the Navajo Nation have made up their mind and they are supporting Trump, along with a few other Native American tribes. And right? why do you think that is? So. Huh? Excuse me? Why do you think that is? Mm, it could be because they're $5 Indians and they're finally shedding their skin, or um, their heritage is actually starting to show uh, how they want it to be. You're breaking up again. We, 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 we didn't hear you after you said their heritage. You sound like an alien. We're not hearing anything. Yeah, we're not, we're still not hearing you. Greetings, Shamafia. Yeah, beloved, come on back in when you get a clear signal again. Right now, we're not hearing you at all. But I would be interested to know um, your opinions and those of others as to why um, – these indigenous groups would indeed support Trump. Uh, with all the debates around fracking, um, for those of you who aren't clear, you know, that ability to, to travel horizontally under, underground, uh, to go out to the uh, sea, you know, there's land just beyond the coast of America, uh, here in, in Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, Florida, you know, that they're now using to uh, explore for oil, primarily oil resources. Um, We all have some limited understanding about being forced to sort of gather and live and exist on on plantations uh, and their connection to uh, the gambling industry. Um, So I believe that's what uh, Neophyte Vokur was referencing uh, when he said $5 Indians. I I believe that was what the point he was trying to make that quite possibly they had been bought uh, for, for their vote. Maybe they had, they, they had been bought for their position. We also see a sort of a battle going on right now in, in Florida uh, as it relates to Trump, the conservatives, the Republicans, and their ability to sort of influence the, commun- the Cuban community there, uh, which plays a big role in the numbers. Um, in Florida. So, you know, it's important to look at these minority groups that, you know, have always been courted, if you will, to either be in opposition to the original enslaved populations, um, to be a diversion or a distraction to our point, our message. And and so they befriend and, and sort of suck up to and, and pay up to these minority groups, said minority groups, uh, in order to sort of sway the balance of, of numbers, sway the balance of, of the effectiveness of our voting. So it just clarifies uh, for me, Neophyte Vokor, 
and I'm sure many others, to include my mother in, in this audience, the importance of our voting, the importance of our being involved. And particularly now, particularly now, like never before, uh, this could be a long eight years if we allow this man to be reelected. This could be a, a long, destructive, ugly eight years and can indeed usher in world calamities. Now, when we look at movements like the Zionists, for instance, whose desire is to create end-time conditions, and some of you are Zionist in your position, in your demonstration, and, you, and you're not even aware of it. And the, the Zionist position is to push forward to increase the likelihood that the end-time prophecies, the end-time predictions would manifest. And just like we believe in positive thinking, just like we believe in the ability and the power to create and recreate our own reality from what we believe and from what we let come out of our mouths, this sort of Zionist position of pushing forward, creating an environment where the end-time conditions uh, are more likely to happen than not is one of self-fulfilling prophecy, is one of creating a reality by saying it enough. I also heard it suggested uh, in, in most recent days that that's one of Trump's tools is to say something enough. If I say it enough, you accept it as the truth. If I, if I repeat it enough, you accept it as the reality. And so it's, it's why our voices must be heard. It's okay to, to watch. It's okay to listen. It's okay to sit back quietly and digest, you know, what I'm saying and, and take it all in and, and take notes and, and go and do homework or research on me or anybody that you might be watching or viewing online or even in, in mainstream media. But we have an obligation to do something. And you're doing something might not be in front of the camera. You're doing something might not be at the microphone, but you're, you're doing something might be to write. You're, you're, you're doing something might be to teach. You're, you're doing something might be to influence and to share to, to those who will go out and take action, to those who will go out and vote. I really like the demonstration in our community as it relates to demonstrations um, really throughout the summer not just in this most present moment, but all the way back to to George Floyd, and, and some might even say back to Trayvon Martin, but how in the midst of this COVID, those who are healthiest, those who are youngest, strongest, are, are hitting the streets and are keeping the pressure on in terms of, of marching and, and protest and demonstration, something that once upon a time would have been handled by the church or NAACP or, or older organizations with, with diverse groups, but older people in, in leadership. So we're now seeing white, black, Hispanic, Asians, people of other ethnic backgrounds fighting for Black Lives Matter, fighting for a legitimate cause. Do, do you all know, I understand some of you, many of you don't watch the news, don't watch TV, you're being called a terrorist right now. Did you know that? Did you know that your president has equated the demonstrators and the protests and that action and that activity 
as a form of terrorism. And that sort of language, that sort of hype can fuel all sorts of uh, drama <laughs> and intentions and, and motivations with, within our society on both, on both sides, on both sides. So your voice must be heard, must be heard. Tell your children, hey, okay, mom, thank you for voting early. And, and if you can, please vote early. If you can, vote in person. If you can, vote early. Um, it's important. And encourage your neighbors, your friends, your young folk. Encourage them to be more active, to be more uh, uh, participatory, if you will, in ultimately what will be our survival. This ain't just government. This ain't just politics. This is our very survival. Another shutdown is being predicted. But no one has made any clear decisions on any kind of help, on, on any kind of stimulus. So for those of us in this community, we're relying on the ancestors. We're relying on God. We're relying on the goddess. We're relying on the power of spirit to maintain, to provide our wants, our needs, our desires, and help us to survive this season and to, to move forward. So the importance of looking at our ancestors, and particularly those who fought enslavement, those who fought oppression from the beginning, from the beginning, only gives us a blueprint, only gives us homework, because we can look at the blueprint and we can say what didn't work. We can apply what did work. We can use our now present advanced technology and advanced ways of thinking and seeing things and move our ideas forward. There were many slave revolts in New York. Or did you know that? In the 18th century, slaves comprised 20% of the population in New York City. And 1712 saw the city as a host to a significant revolt centering on enslaved warriors from the African Gold Coast. Oh, we've heard about them finding ancient slave burial grounds in Manhattan, but you ain't heard nothing about knowing slave warriors and slave warriors from the Gold Coast, from, from Ghana and, and, and Nigeria and the Bight of Benin standing up for revolution. So in the 18th century, the enslaved African, Africans who comprised 20% of Manhattan, 20%, decided we had had enough. And so the city in 1712 saw a, a significant slave revolt that was fueled by, motivated by, led by enslaved warriors from the African Gold Coast. Early in the year, some slaves planned on uprising in April with local Indians, with the indigenous people, armed with guns, swords, knives, axes, 23 men gathered in an orchard at the northern tip of the city. That's probably where the pond is, where the ice skating rink is today, before setting fire to a slave owner's home. A group of white men arrived, put out the fire, and were ambushed. Nine of them were killed. Soldiers were dispatched, and the rebels had fled to the forest where they were eventually captured. Those six 
committed suicide rather than be captured. After trials, 27 slaves were convicted, with 21 of them being killed in public executions in Central Park. In 1708, a slave uprising in Long Island resulted in the death of seven whites and the execution of four slaves. In 1741, in New York City, after a robbery in February and several arsons over the next few months, police believed a revolt was brewing and rounded up black men, both free and enslaved. A series of trials followed with resulting executions and deportations. Though the alleged conspiracy is now considered to have been a fabrication, by the judge and some of the witnesses, it fueled this hysteria of revolt, of revolution, greatly fueled by the Haitian Revolution. And, and so when we're looking for a reason, why, why did they go out of their way to prevent us from reading, to prevent us from touching a Bible, to prevent us from having contact with Christianity or religion, to prevent us from resurrecting ancestral work, ancestral honor? Ancestral forms of divination Fear of Revolt Um, My good friend Chuck D Reposted it on his tweet Yesterday fear of a black planet Remember that public Enemy fear of a black planet Fear of of, Of a planet of color Does that sound more politically Acceptable To you fear of a Planet of black and brown and Red (laughs) And, and yellow people. So this thing that we are up against, often, it, it doesn't mean that economics is important. It doesn't mean that housing isn't important. It doesn't mean that the legal system, you know, the things that our civil rights organizations fight for are important. But in, in my view, what the ancestors have presented for me to see and understand is our greatest enemy is our own selves, our own minds. And how we believe ourselves to be powered or disempowered in the world. And religion, how you view God, how you view your your accessibility to God is more important than many of the things that we would otherwise fight for, otherwise march for, otherwise demand. And so, you know, I understand how division of labor works. In a society, people gravitate to what they know, what they understand, what they learn. You have potters, you have wood carvers, you have stone carvers, you have people who build housing, you have people who cook, you have people who do the healing, you have people who do the music, you have people who do the spiritual work, etc. So I understand how division of labor works in a, in a society, in a civilization. My job, my role, I would like to believe is is one of the most important roles is how you process things in your head, how you see yourself, how you view yourself, how you believe yourself to either be empowered or disempowered under the conditions that we now find ourselves in. And when we look at our ancestors, what they survived, what they lived under, to ensure that you could be here to do whatever you're doing right now, to to do whatever nonsense you might be involved with right now, to do whatever important work 
you might be committed to right now. Our ancestors gave their life, blood, sweat, and tears. And I don't mean just those who were lynched. I don't mean just those who were, who were crucified. I mean, starting with my grandmother, who cleaned white toilets and white floors and white houses and, 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 the, and the Catholic priest's clothing, laundry, to put my mom through college, first black woman in my family to be college educated, you know, to have more than one property, to own a piece of land. And so it doesn't matter where we might be in the system today. You know, you might work for the phone company, the gas company, you know, child protective services, you know, the food stamp office, whatever your job is, do your job and do it well. But understand that you have an obligation, an obligation to make change, to have your voice be heard so that those who follow you, those who come after you, don't have to continue to refight the same fights. Can then move on to fight new fights, new issues, new complications, new important things that, that we should be focusing our energy on. In the 1811 German Coast Uprising, which was the largest revolt in American history, given the number of people involved, it took place along the Mississippi River, north of New Orleans, in an area known as the German Coast. The ultimate plan was to destroy sugarcane plantations, free every slave in the state, and take control of New Orleans. Some of you remember that Back in uh, October, we did our reenactment of this particular slave revolt and, and walked a great distance <laughs> from the, the German coast here to the city as a reminder, as a commemoration, if you will, of this largest uprising in America. On January 8th, about 30 slaves entered their owner's mansion killing the master's son while the master fled to warn other plantation owners which sent mobs of frantic white people fleeing into New Orleans. The rebels armed themselves and left to destroy the nearest plantation joined by other slaves and eventually numbering more than 100 people. Abandoning their march to New Orleans, they slipped away from soldiers and retraced their steps back north. A group of nearly 100 planters confronted the slaves who had taken refuge in a plantation. About 40 slaves were killed. Some were captured and forced to watch injured rebels get tortured. Others escaped into the swamp only to be tracked down and killed. The majority of the German coast slaves put on trial for rebellion were found guilty and executed with their mutilated corpses put on public display for others to see. Uh, You know, you're aware of the vampire uh, in Romania and and putting uh, Dracula and putting heads on stakes, staking bodies for, for public display. That's what we're talking about right here in New Orleans, right there in Jackson Square, where they beheaded St. Milo, another powerful maroon leader, and put his head on public display to create fear 
to keep you from speaking, to keep you from thinking, to keep you from taking any action, to keep you from moving forward. So we're grateful for the ancestors who, in spite of fear, chose to move forward, in spite of difficulties, chose to move forward. In spite of those who told them you shouldn't, you can't, you won't, they chose to move forward so that we could then be where we are today. Shipboard slave revolts weren't uncommon in the 18th century. Shipboard slave revolts. In 1764, the slave ship Hope erupted in rebellion with men in the holding Enslaved Africans in the holding, forcing their way on deck twice and killing nine crew members before eventually being seized by Spanish forces. The most famous revolt at sea took place on the Spanish slave ship Amistad in 1839, involving Africans being shipped out of Cuba. The 53 men seized control of the vessel and spared the lives of two Cubans who promised to maneuver the boat back to Africa. After wandering the seas for two months, the ship docked in Long Island. So, so it didn't just wander. We know that they misled them. <laughs> Many of us have seen the movie, okay, and they misled them, and, and they ended up in Long Island, where the Africans were taken into custody and endured a two-year-long court battle for their freedom. In January 1842, they were able to return to West Africa. The only successful slave result, revolt, the only successful slave revolt on an American ship happened in November 1841 when a ship called Creole left Richmond, Virginia for New Orleans to sell a cargo of tobacco and 135 slaves. A fight between guards and slaves turned into a full rampage on board. Once the slaves seized control, they set course for the Bahamas, where all 135 slaves were given their freedom. So some of us have ancestors from the earliest colonies on the East Coast who look at your Ancestry.com, who look at your 23andMe, and can't quite understand why both sides of your family then have a subsequent footprint in Louisiana and then in a Caribbean island. We often think of the, the Middle Passage and the uh, triangle of death, if you will, as sort of being one directional from West Africa to South America to North America and then ultimately back to, to England. But as we just uh, uh, described Sometimes you were sold from Virginia to Mississippi. Sometimes you were sold from, from Mississippi back to Haiti, uh, depending on the circumstances. How problematic were you? How troublesome were you? What was your value uh, as a slave, if you will? And we know that we were sold off for many reasons. Spite, revenge, for a bet, you know, to pay off a debt, uh, for greed, we know that our families were broken up for a, a numerous reasons. Greetings, beloved Khalifa. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for showing up with us. Thank you. Dave Smith, greetings, beloved. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, one with Parney. Revolution is not pretty. 
<laughs> yes, indeed, we are burned out on the all lives matter and the stop being violent rhetoric. And it is indeed rhetoric. Anytime we stood up for ourselves, anytime we fought back, it was viewed as rhetoric. It was viewed as terrorism. Our survival and our fighting back is reviewed as civil unrest. Just before the outbreak of the Civil War, there were numerous attempted insurgencies. In 1859, on the plantation of the former president, James K. Polk in Mississippi, his widow watched as armed slaves barricaded themselves in protest. Additional uprisings were reported in West Virginia, Virginia, Missouri, Kentucky, Illinois, North Carolina that same year. In 1860, 14 cities in North Texas faced arson via a plot among the enslaved Africans and white co-conspirators to destroy slavery in Texas. There were multiple repeated eruptions in Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, and other southern states. In 1861, heartened by the attack on Fort Sumter, a group of slaves in Adams County, Mississippi, tried to time an uprising with the arrival of Union troops. Word got out about the plot through a child, which resulted in the execution of it as of as many as 40 enslaved Africans. This scenario also involved several white co-conspirators. Throughout the Civil War, there were reports of conspiracies and unrest among slaves all over the South, coming to an end only with the defeat of the Confederate States of America and finally in 1865, emancipation. We do know that lynchings continued well after the emancipation. We know that attempts to uh, maim, kill, destroy, and remove us have continued till this day. We know that the footprint of, of, of the Ku Klux Klan only grew after the Emancipation Proclamation. We know that the footprint of white supremacy and, and attacks on our communities in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and in Florida, and in, in many other locations only increased only increased after the Emancipation Proclamation. And we continue to fight. We continue to fight today for our, for our very survival. And so they would want you to be quiet. They would want you to protest quietly and silently and at home, you know, and in your yard. They would have you to not speak up. They would have you to not fight back. They would have you to not take a stand. They would have you to do nothing and allow things to continue as usual. So I invite you to be active, be proactive, do something, be creative, make a stand, make a choice, and ensure that those around you, if no one else, your friends, your family, your mama, your daddy, your brothers and sisters, understand or at least hear your position, hear your choice. That is how we build movements. That's how we build a, a grassroots fire that consumes the wickedness that we all are now up against, that we all now now are facing. Um, in our world, 
we can no longer say just here in the South. We can no longer say just here in America. Uh, this is a global problem. This is a universal problem. And I'm sure at some point we're going to discuss it uh, a little bit more tonight um, on Rise of the Orishas uh, programming. Now, let me go to my phone lines. Thank you so much, Erico 404, um, for calling in and for your patience. I don't always immediately see my hand raised on my on my uh, phone uh, chat board because I'm always talking. So I appreciate your patience and, and hanging in there with me, Erico 404. Who's calling, beloved? Yes, and where are you calling uh, from? This is, uh, I'm calling from Atlanta. This is Shamafia. I'm generally oh, on the chat. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm very grateful to make your acquaintance on air, um, and I feel like it's very precedent that I'm on this call because that's the reason why I exist. The reason why I call myself Shamafia is because I'm half Italian and half Puerto Rican, and I'm a shaman, and I'm a, and I'm a movement I'm a movement, and um, the, I think the most important thing for me in this transmission to just relate to everybody is that we're in a war of consciousness that seeks to divide us, whether we're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party or whatever it is. It's important for us to know that we're united in consciousness, whether you, I mean, it's important to vote, absolutely, but when you stand up together and you're kind and you choose to do the right thing no matter who's watching mm-hmm. and, and you support your ancestors and you do your own rituals wherever it is in the cemetery in the city of Atlanta wherever it is that you do it it's important that you unite your candle and your mind your heart and just know that everybody who's listening with ears and, and that are not here in bodies that we're all yeah. together and we can yeah. stand up together. We are standing up together. And that's important that we all just feel empowered in this moment mm-hmm. because every time you look at your phone or CNBC or any of those channels, they seek to take your attention. And your attention is the most important thing that you have. So use it properly. Right. Use it right. That's right. And, and, and I agree with you. Um, I'm going to say what you imply but didn't say outright directly. Their job is to confuse us. Their job yes. is to distract us. Their job is to make us think and believe. Because first you got to think it, and then you got to believe it. You know that right. we have no union, unity, that we can't come together, that we aren't doing anything. And, and then before you know it, we all start repeating that. Oh, well, there's right. no unity in the black community. Black folks won't come together. Hispanic folks won't, won't come together. Asians are going to do for themselves, and, and they're not thinking about us. Arabs going to do for themselves, and they're not thinking about us. We, we all have heard that language. We all have heard that propaganda. Mm-hmm. It is a relative, relative truth on the surface. And depending yeah. on who's manipulating the photography, the video, the sound bites, the news posts, the blog posts, it's not even always entirely true. That's why I say it's a relative truth and not an absolute truth. The absolute truth is what Shamafia just said, that we are unified. The absolute truth is that there are people behind the scenes who won't go away quietly, who won't just sit back and let this happen. My mama, my sister, myself, Shamafia, there are many of us who now 
have evolved to a place of seeing ourselves as a movement. You are a movement. You are the yes. movement. You are the, are. The, 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 the people. You are the society. You know, and so when we point the finger at this elusive, illusionary man, this, this ghost of a system, we're, we're taking away the opportunity for everyone to be held accountable for their own actions and their own responsibility in what's happening. Those who are perpetrating it, those who are victims to it, those who are watching it, those who wait for it to show up on your five o'clock news, you, you all have a responsibility, a responsibility. And so thank you, um, Enzo Khalifa. Thank you, Shamafia. It's a script. And it's a tired script that we need to stop saying there's no unity. That's not true. There's no That's coming together. True. That's not true. You know, and we're all guilty of it to some degree. I, I remember when I was younger, and, and one Wapani is my witness, and dealing with, you know, depression. And PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder, one of the mm-hmm. symptoms is, is depression, okay? Yeah. And when you're depressed, and you're in that negative dark place, you begin to interpret interpret everything as negative and dark. And it shows up in your language. So so Wapani would catch me saying, I ain't got no friends. I ain't got no support. But you on the phone with me, my brother. <laughs> this is this is what my <laughs> sister would say. Well, what are you saying about me? Well, what exactly are you saying really? And she got me to a place where I could hear myself. Where I can hear my own words. My best friend, my sister wife, Tony Val, she she got to pull my coattail on that every now and then. When you say you ain't got no support, are you talking about me? So so when we start saying there's no support, there's no unity, and, and start talking over the people who are right there in your face, right there up under you, right there supporting you even while you have your pity party, and, and you stop seeing them. They become an illusion. You, you stop hearing them. You have to be reminded. And that's why I strongly support journaling, Shamafia. I strongly support journaling. Because when you're in that positive place and you write that down, and then a month later, two months later, whatever, you, you, you're in that lower place where it's easy to forget where you came from, you can go back to that journal and remember you can go back to that journal and see and realign yourself back to your original purpose. But what was your original purpose? What was your original goal? You know? And so I, I appreciate yes. you and, and your movement. I, yes. I also just want to relate that we've been programmed, and I know you said it a thousand times before, but to hear it through someone else's voice, we've been programmed since the time we could speak to believe certain things that are limited to not observe our history and to know things that could empower us from the time we were able to first walk. So it's important for us to know we are viruses. We are we replicate when we when we put out positive energy. This frequency that we we're bringing and and breathing life into the uh, the sacred ashe. It's important for us to all just remember we're unprogramming cells from hundreds of years of indoctrination. And it doesn't happen overnight. So just be patient with you. As your shadows show themselves, look at them deeper. The things that come to the surface that are uncomfortable about you, your insecurities, Mm -hmm. just look at them and acknowledge them 
and learn from them. And a mistake is not a mistake if you learn from it. That's right. That's why I say all is a blessing. All is a blessing. All is a blessing. Yes. Well, I don't want to say, I want to, yes. Shamafi, you can say if you like. Greetings will find Come on in, beloved. Greetings. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I just read a post on my son's page, and uh, someone went into the normal rhetoric about, you know, all lives matter, and we're inciting violence in these riots, and all other countries were able to rebound after uh, colonization, and we're the only ones being victim, blah, blah, blah. So if I can just read you real quick what I wrote him. I told him, um, when white, Latino, Native American, Asian, or any other ethnicity of people deal with the disparities of stockpiling their people in jail, when they're pulled over and frisked for no reason, when they're killed by the police on the regular, then we can stop talking about race and open a dialogue about human rights. When I can't turn on PBS and see anything, anything about Africa in a positive light concerning the cultures, of the ancestors of black people, then we can stop talking about race. When I can turn on my television and see a black man in a position of power that is not being debased and told to stay in your lane, that he's just the face of authority, but it's really us, not you, who are pulling the strings, then we can stop talking about race. Every other ethnicity has been able to recover and celebrate their ancestral culture after Western colonization has taken over the world. Africa is still being pillaged for its natural resources. Dissension is still being deliberately sown within the countries to keep upheaval and distraction away from the powers that be who are raping the continent. And then... It's ironic you should even bring this up because I told him there were at least 250 slave rebellion or revolts before slavery were abolished. The saying is, closed mouths don't get fed. In other words, if black people just sit back and shut the hell up, then life will continue as usual. If black people want a place and an ample plate from this equality table, then we must open our mouths. The orange man in the White House has branded protesters as terrorists, terrorists, even though it's a known fact that the censors have been systematically and deliberately planted in these protests to start violence and give the impression that the protests are only wanting to incite a violent and more, a riot and more violent. People are following the words of a known liar, blind leading the blind. Keep listening to that propaganda. People have to deliberately, and black people have to deliberately and methodically search to find anything positive and a connection with their ancestors or culture before colonization. A people without a cultural foundation to stand on will obviously flounder. Save all of that all lives matter and go after the billionaires because there's only one race rhetoric for those who have not been demoralized for eons. I say I think that's uh listen now you know me I'm a I'm just a little bit shady I think that was great for the people who are going to read the confrontation the person you actually wrote it to ain't seen none of that 
probably don't care. And and, and and it's probably, hold on, and it's probably a bot, a B-O-T. Now, now, I know what post you're referring to. I had the same response. I, I don't know if it came from the same person because I've subsequently um, deleted the post, so I don't even remember the name of, of, of the guy. But somehow he was what? a friend. He was on my friends list, um, and he commented several times about black-on-black crime and you know, many of the, the points that you just espoused. So I'm not entirely sure that he's a real person. However, that mindset, that thought process is real and it's out there. So I'm grateful that you responded to it in detail at length in the way that you did for the people who would otherwise go back and read and reread the post. Um, I agree with you. Um, Now, I would even go as far as to say, okay, there are black people on TV. CNN has, has what's it called, Africa Now, you know, and a few other positive black newscasts. But but that's been a part of the game for many generations. You know, you you get the first black woman, the first black man. You get the first transgender. you, You get the first gay person, you know. And it's become sort of a symbolic nod to we're doing something while behind the scenes, it's business as usual. While while behind the scenes, we're we're still fighting and struggling and and dealing with this. So, yes, you then have people like this person you're talking about who then say, well, why can't we all just get along? Why can't you all do what they're doing, you know, in other regions? And let's look at those other regions. What other regions is he talking about? Argentina? Venezuela? Honduras? Right. Well, where is he talking about? These, these people are under great oppression in South America, great oppression in, in Central America. Why are they trying to come here? Why are they trying to get into the U.S.? And even going back to what Shamafia, uh, was it Shamafia? About what yeah. we say. And reinforcing no in goes with Khalifa, reinforcing what we say as the truth when it just might be an aberration of the truth. It might just be a virtual truth. So when we say you know America's hell and damnation and is in Babylon, and some of you Zionists are out there praying for the destruction of America, praying for another 9/11, praying for you know some rogue country like a China or Russia to do something egregious to us. There are people in this audience who that's in your imagination. Remember, you have to go through that. Your people mm-hmm. have to go through that. Your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will have to go through that, that event, that a calamity. So it's not enough to sit back and let God handle it. It ain't enough to sit back and wait on Jesus. It's not enough to sit back and wait on Muhammad. It's not enough to sit back and do love work and lottery work and prosperity work, but you but you're not doing no civil rights work. You're not doing no revolutionary work. You're not doing anything to help to overturn and bring real lasting change to what we're dealing with every day. So I I agree with every point you made in your rebuttal, and and I hope you put it on your page. Don't just put it in the comment. Copy and paste it back to your page 
as post. Because, see, your comment can be deleted. They can come back right. late and say, oh, I don't like that comment, and delete it. And the post will stand as it is. So repost it back. Agree. <laughs> I, I agree. And what I did, actually, I copied and I pasted onto a notes app on my phone. Just in that, you know, possibility. And this dude, he's a real person. He actually came back and responded. But he's uh, a white guy, I didn't right? read the Obviously. Well, okay. let me rephrase that. <laughs> because he started his whole dialogue with he's black, white, some other Puerto Rican, you know, some other stuff in there. But um, he passes as white. If you look at his picture, he's white. He looks like a white okay, guy. Nobody up. would know his background. Okay, slow down. So when you look at his profile picture, is it kind of glossy? Like an actor's picture or a modeling picture? Um, no. He's a straight up white guy. Looks just oh, like an okay. everyday. Okay, so this yeah, is a he's new got brown hair. Yeah, brown hair, beard, mustache, white guy. Richard Lockhart. Yes. Okay, from Marcello, New York. Okay. Yeah, we just called you out live on air, bro. Yeah. We did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> you okay. were called out. But even what you were saying about uh, the Native American nations that are being flipped right now, I just spoke mm-hmm. with my brother-in-law in Hawaii. Uh, the one I told mom about this years ago, back in the early 2000s, when I mentioned him to you, and I was like, he's so progressive and spiritual, and I wide open, you didn't know him, but your only statement to me was, uh, he ain't spiritual, and I'm like, how do you know, I was offended, you don't know him, and blah, 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 but over the years, when we went to Hawaii, and we visited, and I got to know him, I started seeing that he's what I would call a mainstreamer. Like, it's in the fad right now to be a light worker, highest consciousness. So when I spoke to him last week, and he has totally flipped and is now a die-hard Trumpster. And how he goes into Trump is not a racist, and I don't know why people could stand that. He even pardoned a man who was in jail for 30-some-odd years for raping a white woman, blah, blah, blah. I was like... Okay, they throw out a token all through history, a token. That was when we got a token. But um, there's a lot of people who are being flipped because Trump knows how to talk that rhetoric, and their their eyes are blind. I, I don't understand how people – I equated to – there was a book Mom and I read. Uh, I think it was in the Left Behind series. Oh, no. Can I interrupt yeah. Um, it's not a mindset. It's 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 a it's witchcraft. It's mm. witchcraft. It's a spell. These people are. Let's let's be clear. These people are under a spell, a witch spell, where where you don't see what you you really see. You don't hear what you really hear. You, you believe whatever is said from Cheeto, and, and you. See that they're under like zombies. They're under a spell. 
some kind of potion. Yo, Shamafia, would you agree with that? I totally would. Absolutely. This is this entire continent of, of the United States of America was founded on witchcraft. Mm-hmm. When, you, when yes. you connect the dots and you recognize, you know, that Washington, D.C. is laid out on ley lines. And I mean, like our little buildings are on ley lines. This is kind of hard to not be under the spell unless you create your own spell and start to program yourself because, whoa, yes. Yes, um, that's what I was going to refer to. The book that I read, the world leader, his name was Carpathia. He was the image of this Antichrist. And anybody in the room would believe anything he said, even if it was opposite of what actually happened. He shot a man in the head and then convinced the whole room that the guy was suicidal and shot himself. And when the police came, they were all like, oh, yeah, we saw it. You know, he shot himself, and the one person that was actually awake in the room because he did the paradigm shift, he was like, I can't believe you all did not see what I just saw. I saw what was real. What are you all looking at? So that's exactly what you're describing, this under the spell of whatever comes out of his mouth. They believe that, regardless of if he's been been caught in several lives, misinformation about corona and a whole lot of other stuff is it's really scary now is the time like mom keeps saying now is the time to be introspective and get your spirit right because if you don't you're going to be walking that blind with the blind you're going to go in the ditch with the rest i agree also i think that it's important for us to recognize that every single tv set is a black mirror all of our phones are black mirrors. We are constantly integrating with witchcraft all day. It's about what you use that for and how you integrate, you know, the type of information you're you're ingesting every day to empower yourself or disempower yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a choice all the time, every day, every minute. Mm-hmm. Come on, if we were to go back, if, if we were to go back a hundred years and show up with a cell phone. You would be burned at the stake because it is. It's truly kind of amazing that we have cell phones. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it would be a witchcraft. But, but right. I think, honestly, it's Ogun, okay? It's straight up Ogun. I mean, it's technologically advanced, and I'm sure other civilizations that we've been a part of in other lives have been more advanced than this. So, mm-hmm. I say to that. I say. I say, I want to do in the future, uh, Rapani, if you will, we're going to do a whole show on some of the ancient alien topics. Um, one that particularly piques my interest is about Antarctica, um, which, you know, we've been told has been frozen for millions of years. But there's clearly something under there. That they're getting all kind of electromagnetic responses. They're getting all kind of energy you know, uh, a chemical uh, footprints that they're able to pick up, you know. So there's clearly something going on in, in Antarctica. Uh, one of the, yeah. the ideas is that there might be an ancient civilization there or even an old civilization there that's living beneath the ice. Um, so yeah. I definitely want to talk about that. Come on, Wapani. Just to touch on that just really quickly, because like you said, that's a whole show in itself. The Third Reich under Hitler, they were, you know, that whole 
segment was about a cult, what they called it, an alien civilizations and extra power. And they were setting up base in Antarctica because they knew there was something there, someone, a civilization here and now. And, uh, yeah, that's a whole topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's military uh, expeditions that happen in that region of the world regularly that we don't see on the news every day, that we don't hear about until these in-depth documentaries um, cover that material. And there are pilots that have been admonished about flying over certain features, about seeing certain features that exist. Uh, One is this huge opening, this huge hole that somehow exists up there in the ice, um, concave, uh, much like, you know, an opening to, you know, a garage, but, but it's in the ice, it's in the ground. Um, they believe that some sort of ship or flying apparatus is, is able to enter there and then go into some other space. But but they don't know. This is one of the areas that the government won't allow them to talk about, won't allow them to film, won't really allow them to have any access to. So it's definitely a show that I want to, oh, there you are, Daquan. It's it's definitely um where'd you go? It's it's definitely uh something I want to talk about in a future uh show. Daquan, you were here and now you're gone. Yeah, yeah. Um I'm sorry, I just I'm just <laughs> I'm I usually don't even speak up, which yeah. as I'm learning is a problem. You know, I used to be like, well, my voice isn't that loud. Nobody's really trying to hear what I have to say, you know, and then there's a lot of argument behind it usually. But, yeah, that that time has gone. Like, (laughs) that time is really gone. You have to find your voice, but you also have to do it with some intellect. You have Mm -hmm. to do your research so you can speak intelligently and not just go on the typical soapbox rant and be branded the stereotypical angry black woman. You have to do some education and educating of yourself and some research. Yeah, I agree. Greetings, Daquan. Hey, how you doing today? I'm doing great, beloved, and yourself? I'm doing good. I'm blessed, you know. I'm still blessed to have a job and, you know, quarantine, you know, trying to get at everybody, but, you know, the devil's a lie. That's right. That's right. How are you handling um, the quarantine? Um, I'm handling it very well. You know, I'm, I've been in the healthcare field for over 16 years, so um, pretty much it's been pretty much harder on everybody yeah. as um, you know the visitors. You know, they have to go through the window. Um, you know, to see their mom, their dad, and their loved ones, and you have some have to do the Zoom call or the tablet, and you know, it's pretty sad. It's pretty tough on some people that they can wish they could be close to your mom, you know, with a face shield and they're not allowed that. And and it's really sad that the, so many people I have watched have um, gone through um, being sick and deaf and, and watching um, 32 people pass away in um, another facility where I work at. Um, our capacity is 160, now we're down to 92. But they want to accept more patients in the building. And yeah. um, it, it's tough, but I'm doing 
you know, I, I still pray for everyone, including myself, and and try to just do the best we can. Listen, I appreciate you. I really do. Um, you being on the front lines, uh, but also who you are as a spiritual person and an activist, you know, in the community. I, I really appreciate that. I also think it's Thank important, um, and particularly my audience, it's important that we remember we are still in a pandemic. It's real easy to think that things are over and, and we're moving forward into something. Um, so I think it's important. What you just said reminds us that we're still in the middle of this. It's not over, you know, forget that we're, don't forget that we're still having to protect ourselves and find new ways to connect and communicate with each other, you know, while this virus is still um, among us. Yeah, but you have to look at it like these two, there are so many different viruses out here that which, you know, viruses normally die in the air. So you have different progression of different viruses, these viruses Especially if we're 
on the front lines and going to the heat spot. I mean, that, in, that's, in my opinion, where we're going. in my opinion, they don't talk about it. Exactly. You don't hear that that number. You don't hear uh, how many police officers or how many uh, in the medical industry um, where Daquan works. You don't hear those numbers, and I'm sure Daquan will will tell us that it's happened. People are getting. Well, some people get. I'm sorry, but what some people get misconstrued on their pre-downs is you have to wait till the end of the year of the total death. How many people are um, ill and how many people um, are deceased? And I think sometimes they keep the number a little off, mm-hmm. you know, at the way because like New York really really bad, and that's where it first started. And I believe it started from JFK Airport. You got to think about it. How many people are coming from different places all over the world? So you don't know who passing what. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, my um, my younger brother um, is in the military, and it was just so happened that right around the time when we actually started being affected by this quote-unquote novel virus, our military was just offshore of China on their leave, on their shore leave. Right? Yeah. I mean, how many, how many times do you really hear that being put out into the news media. You know, we, we understand that a lot of our cruise ships that were, you know, taking care of, uh, of transporting our vacationers and whatnot, and how these cruise vessels were docked offshore just to make sure that nothing was contracted and being passed down to our shores. But that same criteria is being skipped over when delivering that information about our own military who was stationed just off the shore during that same exact time. And they come home to our bases in Texas and then dispersed to, say, places like Florida, um, Georgia, and whatnot, either home or continuing on with their shore leave. Uh, Yeah, I I believe... Yeah, I personally believe uh, all the way back to the 60s that some of our military personnel... Um, plays a key role in, in the spread of venereal disease in communities. Uh, um, just as you said, going you know to, to various countries, th- then coming back and bringing it home to, to the wife or to the family. You know, of course, there's those you know bisexual and, and secretive you know folks who are in the in the army, the navy, and the military who who are traveling the world and like you said, bring back certain contaminants that until now we don't hear about until now that's not being, you know, paid attention to or, or kept track of to some degree. So, so I agree with you uh, to some degree about, right. uh, yeah, I, I do. And, and one last thing, um, how we all enjoy our Chinese food and all that uh, and whatnot. And, Everybody was afraid of going to the Chinese food places and whatnot, but they don't get their food shipped over from China. That's all our products. That's all. Uh, uh, that's all in-house stuff being transported back and forth across the country, not imported from elsewhere. They they buy their their ingredients just as fresh as everybody else that are are allowed to. 
you know, so all this fear, this propaganda of being afraid of the the Chinese people because of you know, you know their their businesses and whatnot. I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense because uh, our food tra- our food department doesn't handle uh, the transportation of food and the shipping of food in that manner. That's not how that works. We ship food out to other countries and rarely receive food in unless it's a, a specific type of food. I also think right. that in the earlier stages of the pandemic, you know, there was a great deal of panic, um, whether it was from the community or from the people who were responsible for giving us information. Um, and so True. some things have changed. Like, you know, now this suggests you don't necessarily have to be paranoid about food contamination, you know, product contamination. Now, I still wash everything that comes into my house. I still do. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I'm no still question about yeah, that. On, on, on guard for that. But, but I think that information has indeed evolved, has indeed um, changed over time. And so we're, we're getting a completely different perspective now as it relates to other ways of being um, affected by the COVID. Um, I see you, Oracle uh, Sophia. I see you, beloved. Yes. Listen, y'all, um, I appreciate you all. I'm so grateful for everyone who's present and who supports and, and shows up for us at noon, U.S. Central Standard Time, here on many channels, StreamYard, YouTube Live, Instagram. I also invite you to join us at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. I believe that's 11 p.m. in the U.K. for a live on-air podcast with both myself and um, Nosa, who is, who is commonly known as uh, Rise of the Orisha. I'm going to pop his URL into the chat room one more time for everyone to see. I'm thankful for you, Neophyte Bokur, and my sister Wapani, and my sister Shamafia, and, and those who continue to support me and show up here and be a part of this sacred space at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, um, and again, on, on EarthCam and on all the outlets that I might be viewed and or heard from at this time. Um, I'm grateful for you. I want to leave you with a, a little message. First, I'm going to offer a trailer for um, Rise of the Orisha, and then I look forward to connecting with you again here later in the day. All is truly and indeed a blessing if you could just see beyond the veils. Odabo.
the victory. And we are just dying to meet you.
Centuries before our arrival, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated, the almost Indians prepared this place for us. Centuries before our arrival, Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated, and as the colonizers came, our host, the almost Indians. They pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment, but nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, Thusly, we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first 
cross. Christianity is a double cross. And capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang. We beat. We be. We was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat. Heart beat. Heart be at this place, at this place, be heart, be, be, we beating place in new world space, beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace, our dance is the God walk, our music the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end, connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance, be bonza music, and sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget, even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy. Must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate with out Hello. of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning, a sun day, a feel, a feel without shade, but dark, 
dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades, eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. Beat Congo Square. B Congo Square. Beat B. Beat B. Remember. Remember.